Glad yes, to hear y'all sing tonight. I have enjoyed myself. I always enjoy getting to be with Brother Bob. We uh, every year now for quite a few years now we've been in a couple of churches, uh, the same churches every year, and this is one of those churches. And I always get my cup full when I hear Doctor Gray preach. And boy, I tell you tonight that was. I don't even know how to quite put it in perspective. Uh, he, he might have saved you uh, a prodigal son or daughter tonight with that message. And uh, we're not talking about cover-ups. We're talking about using some good sense. We're talking about protecting people. See, Paul's prayer to the Roman church was that they would be simple concerning evil. And I'm afraid we know too much today. How many of you would say that Social media has helped you spiritually. <laughs> it sure hasn't helped me spiritually, I'll tell you for sure. I don't have Facebook, and I'm not against you that have it. The, uh, we preached against it for so many years. Now we can't uh, communicate with our live stream services without it, so I don't know what we do with that. But the, I have a Twitter account, and uh, I don't use that all that much because you wouldn't believe this, but fundamental Baptist preachers can be nasty. And uh, it's amazing how tough these guys are on social media. I'm not trying to uh, challenge anybody tonight, but when I was a kid, if we wanted to fight, we did it out behind the barn. We didn't do it on social media, amen. The uh, so if you want to cuss me, the uh, let, let, let's go have a, let's take a walk, amen, and we'll solve the problems. But uh, what a great message! I am just thrilled tonight, and I want to just be, if I could tonight, with the Lord's help, an encouragement to your heart tonight. Grab your Bible, if you will. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 2. I'd love you to stand as soon as you find it. And I want to be sensitive but to the time tonight. Y'all have been uh, faithful all day. The morning service, we had a tremendous time this morning. The meal, I echo Brother Gray's words. It was outstanding. And uh, I did love Sister Weaver, but now she's real special to me, bringing me some Starbucks coffee. Amen. How, how many of y'all like coffee? How many of y'all like Starbucks? Don't give me that little political junk. I, I mean, I'm talking about the flavor of it, amen? I like bold coffee. And she got me the boldest they got, man. Two whole packages, and no, you can't have any, amen? I ain't sharing it with you tonight, but I'm kidding. If you want some, I'll give it to you, but you got to come to North Carolina to get it. But, the, uh, but uh, thank you, girl. I just appreciate that. That's so sweet of you tonight. I found out she's a barista. Barista is however you say it, but the... Uh, and I didn't know I was getting me some coffee when I told her how much I love it last night, but she blessed my heart big time. I appreciate it big time tonight. Take your Bible, if you will. Verse number one, I'm going to start reading. Of course, this is a very, very familiar gospel story. Uh, like this story we preached from the uh, last night, this is a story that uh, is in the other gospels. The, uh, I like Mark's account. We'll zero in on it tonight. Verse 1 says, and again he, and before I even start reading, let me identify, there are three individuals or groups of individuals that are identified in our text, and we want to make sure we know who's who. The he in verse 1, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. Would you not agree with me tonight? That might be the single most important thing that you and I ought to be concerned about tonight is whether or not Jesus is in the house. Yes, sir. I've learned a long time ago, uh, uh, don't matter how good the preaching is, how good the music is, right. Right. The uh, we've had 
both which have been tremendous this week, but if Jesus shows up, we're going to get help. Truth of the matter is, the sermon never changed anybody's life if Jesus didn't show up. And I don't know about you tonight, I want Jesus to show up where I go to church every time I go. So if I can figure out anything I'm doing or I can start doing differently that'll make that happen, I want to get it all. Hey, I don't want to waste one Sunday in the house of God just doing a religion and not having an experience with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much is about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Jesus saw this crowd assembled and he said, Look, sounds like a good time for preaching to me. Verse 3, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born, say with me out loud tonight, of what? Of four. Verse 4 says, And when they, say with me out loud tonight, church, the next two words, when they what? Could not. not. Would you let me, for emphasis tonight, ask you to read that one more time. Let's actually start at the start of the verse. And when they could not. Come nigh unto him for the press. They, now don't miss this, uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, not the man who was on the cot, right. but the faith of the four men who brought him to Jesus, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. It always fascinates me when I can have an impact on somebody else's experience with God. I remember, it's funny, Brother Moore was here preaching uh, this week in our missions conference. I remember hearing Brother Moore preach a message one time entitled, Faith Without Works is Dead. And the emphasis he had is that you cannot get saved by faith or by works, only by faith. But everybody else that gets saved by faith is because of your works. We don't save ourselves by works. We get saved by faith. But everybody else's experience with Jesus Christ hinges on what you and I do with Jesus Christ. That involves some labor. Amen? Now don't miss the three individuals tonight. We have He mentioned in verse 1, in verse 2, and that's talking about Jesus. We have the one, that's how he's identified, the one sick of the palsy in verse number three. But boy, I like the they in verse number four and verse number five. We know the famous story. It's so well known. But I'm afraid because it's one of those well-known Bible stories, we have a tendency when we even hear the text read to say, well, I already know all about this. This is going to be old common stuff. I'm not going to get nothing new out of this. And you might not hear one thing tonight that you will consider new tonight, but I believe, I really do, that God sent me by here tonight to dig into this familiar portion of the Bible tonight and try to open your eyes to something. Would you let me for just a few minutes tonight, I'm going to try to be sensitive to the clock, deal with this statement that you read with me, and they could not. I want to preach for a few minutes tonight on confronting your could nots. Everyone under the sound of my voice tonight's got some could nots in your world. Some things that you have no hope whatsoever is ever going to get fixed, is ever going to be corrected, can ever be reversed, 
The damage has been done. But we heard a great illustration tonight about some of the damage we cause unnecessarily, don't we? I don't doubt someone sitting here tonight has recently encountered some information that has brought you to a could not situation in regards to that situation. I want to try tonight to help you. The Holy Spirit will have to be the one to do it, but I'm going to preach His precious book tonight. You pray with me as we jump into the message tonight. And while we're praying, I want you to ask God to reveal to you tonight some of your own could nots. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so needy. Nobody in this room more needy than the man standing right now behind this pulpit talking to you. Lord, I'm so thankful tonight that we don't plead and beg you to use us because of our goodness or our merit or our own ability. Lord, the truth of the matter is that without you, I can do nothing. I not only know that tonight, Lord, I publicly acknowledge and confess tonight that I'm hopeless and helpless without your help. Lord, I'm praying tonight that you'd move in our midst. You've already blessed us. Lord, you've already uh, given me some things tonight that I believe were life-changing. Lord, I'm asking for these few remaining moments of tonight's service that you do some further heart surgery, that you'd give someone hope that's given up hope, that you'd give someone a, a path forward tonight that has found themselves lost and unable to figure out what to do next. Lord, we're asking, we're pleading tonight for you to help us. We're your children. You're our shepherd. We're the sheep of your pasture. And we ask you tonight to move in our midst. We'll give you all the praise, all the glory uh, the, uh, for what you do. And we'll give it to you, Lord, uh, now and at the end of the service. For we ask it in your holy and precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing tonight. If you've ever done any study of these words, could not. You'll find that they're all throughout the Bible in many, many other Bible characters' stories. Uh, the uh, I'm minded, reminded uh, when Moses and the nation of Israel the uh, uh, voted no after getting the report back from the ten uh, spies that gave an evil report. Uh, they voted not to cross the Jordan River. They voted not to go into the promised land. And they would spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. The Bible says of that crowd uh, in Hebrews 3.19, uh, so we see then uh, that they could not enter in because of unbelief. When I read that verse, I realize, Brother Manning, that in their case, in moving forward, they faced a could not situation. Uh, the Bible says uh, in Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul was caught in that uh, Mediterranean hurricane. The Bible word for it was a Eurachlodon. In that vessel that he was on, uh, the Bible says in verse 15 of Acts 27, uh, when the ship was caught, listen now, and could not bear up into the wind. The Bible says we let her drive. Uh, in escaping a storm uh, that was ferocious in every facet, they faced a could not situation. I'm reminded in Luke 19 when Zacchaeus wanted to get a better view of Jesus. The Bible says and he sought to see Jesus who he was. Listen, it says and he could not for the press because he was little of stature. In overcoming a limitation Zacchaeus found himself in a could not 
situation. I'm reminded of Luke 9. Remember, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John. But a daddy brings his boy to the disciples. I'll read the verses. It says, And it came to pass that on the next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look thou upon my son, for he is my only child. And lo, a spirit teareth him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, and he foameth thee the again, and bruising him hardly, departing from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and the Bible says they could not. Here we have a father whose son is demon-possessed. I mean, Satan's power is absolutely destroying his son's life. And this daddy so badly wanted that power broken in his child's life. But he ran into a could-not situation. Remember when Jonah goes down to Tarshish and gets on that boat. The men on that boat think he's just another passenger. They don't know he's a backslidden preacher. They don't know that he's been commanded to go to Nineveh and preach against the wickedness of that great city. And Jonah's got a problem because he don't like the Ninevites. He don't want the Ninevites to get saved. He don't want the Ninevites to get right with God. You know what Jonah's problem was? He knew how merciful God was. He knew how gracious God was. And he knew if he preached to that crowd and they repented, God would forgive them all. And Jonah didn't want them to be forgiven. And so he said, I'm not doing the will of God. And you know what God said? We're going to have us a little storm then, Jonah. Do you know not all storms are the result of, of the, uh, uh, what we would call a natural phenomenon? Some storms are caused by God. And they're the result of you and I needing, as I said this morning, a checkup from the neck up. Amen. They're the result of God getting your attention and my attention. Hey, I've got enough natural storms I don't want to cause any because I'm an idiot. Amen. But Jonah is running from the will of God. The mariners do not know that and they get caught in the middle of that storm. I love what the Bible says in verse number 13 of that great first chapter. It says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land. You know what it says next, don't you? And they could not. Oh, listen, it didn't matter how hard they rode. They found themselves in a life-threatening, could-not situation. I could keep on going tonight, but for time. As though we uh, the, uh, had the time, which I don't think we have tonight, we would find story after story, many others in the Bible, where someone encountered a could-not situation. What I'm trying to do tonight is simply do this. What do you do, Brother Jenkins, when you run into one of those places in your life where all the doors are closed, all the options are gone, and all you can say, I tried, but I couldn't open the door. I tried, but I couldn't change their mind. I tried, but I couldn't uh, alter the situation. I mean, the truth is, I've just run into a could-not situation. Maybe someone in this room tonight, maybe the only reason God laid this message on my heart tonight is for you. Maybe someone walked in this church tonight and said, I'm just, I'm in a place I'll never get out of. I'm in a situation that can never be corrected. Brother Jenkins, I'm dealing, maybe in my faith, maybe in your finances tonight with a could-not situation. 
Maybe it's in your health tonight. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in your past. Maybe it's in your present. Uh, maybe it's a, a battle with sin. Uh, maybe it's a battle with the devil himself tonight. You just would say, Brother Jenkins, I'm in a could not situation. I tried to kick the habit, but I could not. I tried to win my child's heart, but I could not. I, I tried to reconcile with them, Brother Jenkins, but I could not. I tried to be a soul winner, but I could not. I tried to forget the hurts. I've heard all the sermons on forgiveness. I've heard all the sermons on bitterness. And I've tried, but I'm just telling you, Brother Jenkins, I've just come up to a could not when it comes to dealing with that situation. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight. But if you're here tonight and you're in one of those places, would you let me tonight take just a few minutes and try to show you how to confront your could not situation? We all know the story. It's famous. Jesus is just returned according to chapter 1, verse 21 to Capernaum. He enters this house. We do not know 100% for certain. I think verse 29 of chapter number 1 indicates that it was probably the house of Peter and his brother Andrew. Jesus enters this house. Throngs of people here, he's there, and begin to converge upon the house. In Bible days, especially in the days of Jesus' ministry, many of the houses in Palestine were flat-roofed, and they would have had some kind on one of the walls, some kind of a uh, stair-step of the uh, apparatus, so you could use that upper section for storage or for some kind of an outdoor living space. Four men find out Jesus is in town. They find out he's at Peter and Andrew's house. They say, boy, oh boy, oh boy. We've heard so many things. Let's go see him for ourselves. The Bible says they bring this man out. I've heard all kinds of sermons that indicate this man was their friend, but there's not any verses in the gospel that indicate he was their friend. He might have been. He might have been a friend of a lifetime. But it's also very possible that he was just a crippled beggar they'd seen many days walking him down the street. And as they're on their way to Jesus, they say, hey, yeah. Hey, if everything we've heard about Jesus is true, I bet you Jesus can do something about his situation. Can you imagine if they said to that old boy, would you like to meet Jesus? We're going to hear a preach right now. And I can hear that crippled man say, I have no way to get there. And they said, no problem with us. There's four of us. Hold on, buddy. We'll take you. And they get into Jesus. But when they get there, you know the story. There's so many people there, they can't get in. Yeah. Now, this has always fascinated me, brother Matt. Somewhere in the inner recesses of their minds, they said, one way or another, we've got to get this man to Jesus. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And they can't get in the house through the front door or the back door through the windows. So they said, let's go up on the roof. And let's just tear a hole through the roof. Now that may not mean much to you. We've preached it and taught it in Sunday school and we've illustrated it. But let's put this thing in perspective. I mean, somebody lives here. And somebody may not be all that excited about having a roof tore off. You understand, this wasn't shingles and 
you know, ice and water shield and felt paper. This would have been some kind of a of a, a clay, some kind of a, a masonry of the uh, probably uh, sticks and twigs. I mean, uh, this would have been a big deal to tear a hole through this roof. And they didn't stick him down this way. They had to tear big enough holes to lower him down on a cot. I mean, I don't know how big the house was, but the image I got, Brother Bob, they literally ripped the whole roof off the living room. Here's what amazes me. The indication is Jesus never missed a big preacher. <laughs> well, the baby starts screaming, we all get dead. What was Jesus preaching? I think they said never man spake like this, man. He can preach through any interruption. Even someone turn a hole through the drywall while he's preaching. And when they lower this man into Jesus' presence, he looks at the man and says these incredible words. Because of their faith. See, what these old boys were saying is if we can just get him to Jesus, business can pick up. And Jesus said, good night in the morning. What faith these men have displayed. They're going to have faith fix somebody's roof. These guys must believe I can make a difference. And he looks at this man and says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Then he makes that man prove his faith and he says, Time you get up, walk, son. I can hear him saying, Now, Jesus, I've been laying here for a long time. Get up, son. He gets up and walks out of that house. And it's been in our Bible ever since. Familiar story. But here's what I want to do tonight. There's so many truths. Some of you have preached and taught lessons from this passage. You know what I'm talking about. There's so many truths that could be emphasized from this text. We can preach a whole sermon tonight on the proof of commitment. Here's the story of proofs tonight. It don't matter what you say. What matters is what you do. So many people are good at saying, boy, somebody ought to do something about that. But they never get the idea that since they're the one that saw it, maybe they're the one ought to do something about it. These old boys said, bless God, we're not going to talk it. We're going to walk it. We're going to do something about this situation. Would to God somebody and I had a burden to do something about this situation. We could preach a sermon about that night. We could preach a sermon about the power of compassion. Thank God, Jude 22, we mentioned it last night, still says, if some have what? Compassion making a difference. I, I really think, Brother Bob, I've heard preaching, I've probably even done it myself, indicating they brought their friend, but I'm really not thinking that's what they did. I think he was a stranger, or at best, the crippled man they walked by day after day in their business and in their commerce as they went through town. Matter of fact, can, can I give you, a, 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 the, all this is is an opinion, but can I give you an opinion? In Luke's account of this story, it is told in Luke chapter 5. Do you know what the most famous, and there's a lot of good stuff in Luke chapter 10, but does anybody know what the most famous story is in Luke chapter 10? The story of the Good Samaritan. I wonder now, oh, I ain't going to fight moonlight, but the story of the Good Samaritan is a parable. Right. I wonder where Jesus got the inspiration for the story of the Good Samaritan. I wonder if it's one day when he was preaching in Capernaum at Peter's house when four old boys tore a hole through the drywall and lowered a man down to him and Jesus said, good night, these boys are serious. 
These guys are willing uh, to inconvenience themselves, to be laughed at, to be made fun of. Uh, they're willing to spend money. They're willing to spend time because they believe if you can just get people to Jesus, everything can change in their world. I can't prove it, but I think it's possible. We could pray. I'll tell you one sermon we could preach from this store preacher, and I like this one. It's how to deal with Pharisees and critics. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that as soon as Jesus healed this old boy, the scribes start criticizing him? They said, He's speaking blasphemy. No one can forgive sin but God. Now, you and I know that He is God. But Jesus knows they don't believe that yet. I love what he says in verse 9. He says, oh, what should I have done? He said, I could have said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee, or taken the bed in the water. He said, it doesn't matter which way I said it, because I did both of them. I healed him physically, and I healed him spiritually at the same time. And since I'm God, I'll do what I want. You know, I learned a long time ago, you're going to offend somebody. Everybody, you're going to offend somebody. So my advice is decide who you want to offend. <laughs> you know what Jesus did? He never missed a chance to tick off Pharisees. I mean, buddy, the, uh, if the Pharisees started, uh, if they showed up, uh, I mean, Jesus added a whole other point to his sermon. I like when the lawyers got upset. Jesus was waxing eloquent. And one of the lawyers raised his hand and said, uh, What thou sayest, uh, the uh, reproaches us also. And Jesus said, Oh, I'm you lawyer. But he said, thank you for reminding me. You just got another point. <laughs> he literally terrorized Pharisees. I really believe he did. But Bob, I think if Jesus had a choice to heal somebody on his Friday or Saturday, he said, I'm doing it on Saturday. And I'm going to wait for a later. Think about how stupid they were. I know this is going to hurt your feelings. But they were, if they were anything, they were the fundamentalists of their day. See, some of you aren't fundamentalists. You're a Pharisee. You know how you can tell you're a Pharisee? Is whenever you walk into a room, all you see is what's wrong. When you encounter someone for the first time, you're looking them over. You sure they're standard, right? Well, listen to music, make sure there's no syncopation in it. Because I ain't going to get blessed if it don't line up 100% with me on everything. Did I say something? Did I say something dirty words? Hey, listen. I think syncopation music can be fleshly. I think it can. I, I think that the melody and the, you know, the rhythm, I, I understand one appeals to the flesh, one appeals. But you do know none of that's in the Bible. You didn't know that, right? That's just good conservative music theory. And it is good conservative music theory. But make sure you've got Bible convictions, not just conservative good music theory convictions. Well, I lost some of y'all there, didn't I? I can tell. See, you're a Pharisee. You say, I knew something wrong, Brother Jenkins. Why is it we don't see people as broken in need of a Savior? And I don't just mean lost people. We run into a lot of saved people that are broken. They need someone to encourage them, not criticize them. Need someone to show them the way, not to rip their face off. And how you handle that tells you whether or not you're a Pharisee. 
Well, I ain't got time to preach on this, but some of y'all looking at me, I feel like maybe I would kick you for a while. I'm not good tonight. But I want to just for a few closing minutes, I want to deal with the main thought of this thought tonight. And that is, what do you do when you run into a could not situation? Let me give you three quick applications. We'll be quick. Notice, if you will, in verse number four, look at it. And they could not come nigh unto him for the press. Would you read them the next two words? They uncovered the roof where he was. You say, preacher, I, I don't know what the next chapter is. I don't know what the next move is. And I could not. Can I say number one tonight? Maybe some obstacles need to be uncovered. See, what was between these men and the Lord Jesus Christ was some dirt. It had been hard, no doubt, preacher, by being mixed with water and sticks in the Judean sun, but it was just dirt. I wonder tonight what's between you and Jesus. What's between the person you're burdened about tonight and Jesus? See, unlike many today, these four old boys, when they ran into this Obstacle. They didn't say, well, it must be the will of God that we just stand on the outside. And, Sorry, buddy, it must not have been God's will today. Yeah. Yeah. Would you all be offended if I just dealt with this for a minute? I'm not a Calvinist in any way, shape, or form. How many tonight would agree that Calvinism was heresy? Yes, sir. If you don't believe that tonight, I'm going to preach a little while longer. Amen? Yeah. Surely we don't believe that God elects and predestines some people without any free will whatsoever to be born into this world and destined to go to hell forever and ever and have no option or choice whatsoever in the matter. If that's the God you believe in tonight, you don't believe in the God I believe in tonight. My God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come in repentance. My God is a whosoever will may come God. Now, I'm going to also go on record and say I believe in the sovereignty of God. Amen. The truth be known, if you get too far over here, you end up in Calvinism. Mm -hmm. If you get too far over here, you end up in something called Arminianism, mm -hmm. where the free will of man trumps the sovereignty of God. You say, which one's right, preacher? Neither one of them. That's exactly right. While we believe in the free will of man, we also believe in the sovereignty of God. He is Lord and He is God. Ain't nothing you can change about that. But listen to me tonight. While none of us would say tonight we believe in Calvinism when it comes to redemption, I'm fully convinced tonight, Brother Bob, that a whole bunch of us are Calvinist to the core when it comes to the will of God. It blows my mind how many people blame God for bad stuff that happens. You've heard some preachers say, God is on the throne. So you assume every bad thing that's happened in the world, God approved it. No, he did not. If someone abused you, if someone lied about you, if someone mistreated you, God had nothing to do with any of that. That's all the result of the fall of man. That's all the result of the curse of the world. 
There's all kinds of wicked stuff that happens every day. Uh, can I say this? I'm tired of people talking about the election and blaming that on God. Well, the powers of evil are of God. I do not think we take that so far out of context. Yes, sir, we do. Evil, wicked people getting in power is because the church has lost its influence in the world and we can't change anybody's mind about righteousness. I don't think we ought to legislate morality, but I'll tell you what. So when it is still the only hope this world has got of changing. That's right. That's right. Hey, you can pick an abortion clinic all you want. I'm for you. But you'd be a whole lot better to go out there and try to win little boys and girls to Jesus and get them out of Sunday school bus and get them to church and let the Holy Spirit teach them that life begins at conception. And you're fighting the battle at the end of the game, not the start of the game when you're out there taking the abortion clinic. I'm not against that. But the reason we're losing America is a failure of the church. I hope I ain't hurting anybody's feelings tonight, but we're not nearly as influential as we think we are. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. If the truth be known tonight, these old boys ran into this obstacle and they said, you know what? We ain't taking no for an answer. We don't care whether this is appropriate or not. Think about what they ran into, preacher. They ran into two oppositions. Number one, they ran into a, listen, talk about a rude crowd. World we live in. If you see an ambulance coming down the road with its siren on, what do we all do? We pull off the side of the road. Because we know somebody's got an emergency and I can be inconvenienced for a minute or two. Now, we're probably going to get a ticket if we don't do it. That might be part of our motivation. But I don't think that's why most people pull over. I think we understand there's an emergency. And the least I can do is get out of the emergency vehicle's way. I mean, here's the point of cop. Do we have to have any more proof? Probably half the crowd there knew who he was. They can walk by him every day, too. sure nobody here cares about a roof. You know what I think they did? I, I know this is, you're going to think this is funny, but I, what, what do you think they did? I think they said, we'll ask for forgiveness instead of permission. we got to get this boy to Jesus one way or another. What they probably did was this, and I'm kidding about that, what they probably did was say, how much money do you think this will take to fix this roof? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm good for 25% of it. How about you? Yeah, I am too. I think they said getting this man to Jesus is worth whatever it will cost us. Because when you get people to Jesus, everything changes. You know, if the truth be known tonight, if the truth be known, so many people turn Calvinistic 
when they run into an obstacle instead of say, you know what? Let's do something about this. Right. Well, Brother Bob, I, you know, I would have witnessed to them, but I just never felt led. I hope I'm not here living anybody tonight. But you don't need to feel led to witness to someone right. you've already been commanded to do. I have been amazed at the people that I have given the gospel to, Brother Manny, that did not appear willing and did not appear ready. But when I was done, they were in the family of God. Oh, I've had a few people cuss me, but wouldn't it be worth a few people cussing you to get to the one who's ready? All they needed to hear was some portion of the verse you gave to be brought under condition. I remember I was preaching for the man. I was actually scheduled to go preach at a camp meeting. The camp meeting I had been a part of in central West Virginia had, had had some tragedies happen and that meeting had died. Some preachers had had some problems in their personal life and had killed the whole meeting. Another preacher friend of mine, Brother David Nix, wanted to try to resurrect that meeting, so he put up a tent in Somerville, West Virginia. He asked me and Brother Doug Fisher from San Diego, California, if we would come preach. He said, I ain't got no money. He said, I can put you in a motel. I can't give you a love offering. But we loved that other meeting so much and loved those mountain preachers. We said, we're in, man. We'll pay our own way. We came on our own dime. Preacher, I was supposed to preach Monday night, but the Fisher was supposed to preach Tuesday night. I went to the Traverse City Airport and uh, was checking in early in the morning. Going to go from Traverse City, Detroit, Detroit, Charleston. Going to get there, I think it was early morning, or I mean late morning. I was going to have a whole afternoon to get ready and pray and maybe even get a nap. And I got to the counter there. My bride dropped me off. and I could tell they were having some, some issues because it was... I'm a frequent flyer, and I'm usually up in the, the short line there, but it took forever to finally get up there. And when I, I was trying to check in, I knew her very personally. You know you travel too much. Everybody at the airport knows your first name. And the, uh, she said to me, she said, Dr. Jenkins, we ain't going to get you Charles today. I, I said, no, no, you understand. I got to preach tonight. Tent meeting there. I, I, I'm the keynote speaker. I got to be there. She said, well, that's good and all, but we can't get you there. She said, we can get you there tomorrow. I said, no, 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 you understand. I got to get there. It's 6.30 in the morning. Surely you can get me there. She was, preacher, I don't believe we can get you there. They were having all kinds of flight problems that day all across their system. I mean, I'll be honest with you, preacher, I probably wasn't all that good of a Christian. I was really ticked off. And I mean, finally, I mean, after searching forever, seeing our computer, she said, we can get you to Detroit. You're going to be on your own from there. We don't know how to get you to Charleston. I got to Detroit, Brother Bob, went through the same routine. They tell me, man, you should have stayed home, man. You can slept at home. Well, now you got to stay in the motel. I said, no, no, y'all don't understand. I got to be in Charleston, Virginia tonight. One way or another, get me there. Put me on another airline. They tried everything in the world. Finally, they said, we can get you to Cincinnati. I said, that's not where I'm going. They said, tear Cincinnati. I said, well, that's closer. <laughs> Everywhere I was that day, I'm just confessing my sin to you tonight. I was Billy Aiken, everybody. I was supposed to be preaching out in meeting West Virginia. And I mean, I'm telling them how bad my day is and how terrible everything is and how the devil has let me down. I'm just having me a, I'm just having a pity party the whole day. I'm terrible testimony. I get to Cincinnati. I finally have to call the folks here, Brother Bob in West Virginia, and said, I ain't going to be there tonight. 
I told him all my trouble. They said, it'll be okay, Brother James. We'll do something else preach. Man, I'm just in a bad mood. I get, I get to Cincinnati at 9 o'clock at night. And there was a flight connected to Charleston from Cincinnati. They got me there like at 10.30. I was supposed to be there like at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I'm getting there at 10.30 at night. Missed the meeting and everything. I've been belly the whole day. Not in a very good mood. Telling everybody how bad all my problems are. I get on this plane, Brother Bob. And there's a real sweet lady, very nice, very professional, sitting next to me. And I was trans being transparent. I was not much of a Christian that day. I was so frustrated with all the good nights that were happening in my day. Everybody I was talking to, I was telling them all my problems and how Delta let me down. I was going to start looking for another airline. This lady sat next to me in the plane and we get talking, just small talking. I just about ready to start telling her my, my little speech I told her bells all day. And I found out that she was a nurse. Then I found out that she went back to college and she was a lawyer now. And she actually practiced medical law, malpractice and all that kind of stuff. And as we're talking, I find out that she had a baby that just about six months before we got on that plane together had died just a few weeks into life. Boy, she's all tore up about it. Her heart was broken, but I could tell. I had somebody with very fragile on my hands. Then I find out, Brother Bob, she's a preacher's wife. Her husband's a Presbyterian preacher. She's a nurse and a lawyer, pastor's wife, and just buried a baby. And I said, Well, at least there's a heaven. One day you'll see that baby in glory. And she said, I hope so. I hope so. And all of a sudden I realized I wasn't supposed to be preaching Charleston, West Virginia. I've been belly aching all day about all my misfortune. And I didn't have a I didn't have a, 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 a place to preach in West Virginia. I had a place to preach on an airplane from Charles, from Cincinnati to Charleston. I said, if I could pull out my little New Testament and show you how you could know for sure you'd see that baby again one day, would you like to see it? She said, oh boy, oh boy, would I ever? She said, I sure want to see my baby again. I got my little New Testament out. She's a preacher's wife. She didn't know the gospel. Then I went through the simple plan of salvation. I don't always do this, but I just felt liberty that night with her. And I, when she got done praying the sinner's prayer, I said, if you meant that prayer, would you take my hand? But she grabbed my hand on the bottom. And I was looking over on her tray. And my eyes were open now. And there was... Puddles of water where she had shed tears all that day. And she said, Pastor Jenkins, I think God put you on this airplane. She was like, I'm going to see my baby one day and preach her. And while I was rejoicing with her, I was having me a little personal conversation. I said, Lord, I'm the biggest idiot you've ever made. I mean, this is way more glorious than preaching in a tent meeting in West Virginia. You put me on a plane to lead a pastor's wife to Jesus Christ. To give someone hope who just buried that baby. Preacher, I got off that airplane, hugged her neck, we was both shouting. The car picked me up. I said, how'd meet go? They said, God moved in. We got a great meeting. Well, James, we didn't even need you there. <laughs> <laughs> 
And once again, I was reminded that sometimes those could nots are not really closed doors, they're open doors to something else. You know what these four boys said? They said, we don't know if this is appropriate, but they said, one way or another, we're getting this man to Jesus. They uncovered their obstacles. I don't know tonight who I could be talking to, but I wonder tonight who maybe has some obstacles in your life. Would you mind if I just meddle for a minute? I wonder how many of us tonight are holding on to some stuff that we need to let go. It's really just, in the grand total of everything, it's really just dirt anyway. You say, but you don't understand, Brother Jenkins. What that person did to me, I, I could never forgive them. You do know that it's okay to get upset. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to get angry. It says be angry and sin not. When wrong happens, it's okay for you and I to be upset about that. But when the Bible says let not the sun go down on your wrath, here's what it means. We all get angry. We all get upset from time to time. But deal with it before it becomes something serious. The Bible seems to imply deal with it immediately. Do it before the sun sets. Every one of us has been hurt by somebody. Been lied about, lied to, let down, mistreated. You want to have a discouraging time now, we can try to outdo each other. Oh, you think you've been hurt by me? Oh, ain't nothing. Oh, we can really we can tell some horror stories tonight, couldn't we? But here's the problem, preacher, and you know it. Holding that unforgiveness in, it turns into something else. It turns into bitterness. You do know, don't you, that bitterness is a two-sided coin? One side of the coin is anger. You know what the other side of the bitterness coin is? Depression. You may not need a bottle of pills. You may need to forgive somebody. You say, but you don't understand what they did. Well, Jacob, that's not the point. It may be horrendous what they did to you. But you're not getting even. See, bitterness is an object that only destroys the vessel it is in. If you don't care about yourself, can I ask you this tonight? Do you care about your children? Brother Bob, I'd hate to think that God's grace and God's blessings and God's touch would be flowing through my home at night. God's wanting to just lay that all over my children. But when he gets to the door of our house, there's a wall. And it's my unforgiveness, my bitterness. Hey, if you don't care about yourself, do you at least care about the people that God's put under your feet? They uncovered an obstacle. I, I got to hurry tonight. Quickly, quickly, number two. They also, don't miss this. They found out that opportunities need a breakthrough. Y'all know what happened here, don't you? 
They broke through the roof. Listen, these four men realized to get their opportunity, they needed a breakthrough. And listen, they needed a breakthrough and they experienced a breakthrough and the sequence is so simple anyone could see it. See, what they did, number one, is they did not wait for someone else. They did what they could do. Right. Hey, listen, you and I may not be all that, that capable, but we can do what we can do. Right, exactly. Hey, please, 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 don't get offended tonight. But don't you dare, don't you dare ask Pastor on Wednesday night if we can put your loved one on the prayer list that needs to be saved. If the next time we got soul winning scheduled around here, you ain't going to show up. You say, what's that got to do with my loved one getting saved? If you've done all you can, you've witnessed, you've tried, you, you've prayed, you've sent letters, you've called, you've talked to them, you've talked to them at family get-togethers and they just don't want to hear it anymore, you need to turn it into a prayer matter. That's right. But here's what I believe tonight. While I'm begging God to save my loved ones, He's wanting to send me to somebody else's loved ones that they're praying for. And if, if I get a burden, hey, listen, Brother Bob may have lost an opportunity to touch his family. Hey, listen, it's hard to win your family to the Lord. They know all your problems. They know all your issues. But listen, if Brother Bob's begging God and I'll go in his place, I might get in where he couldn't get in. And you know what? Maybe one day God will send him by the place. Hey, listen, this thing works if we're right with God. But so many of us want miracles so we don't have to do anything. That's not what miracles are. Miracles are when we've exhausted our resources and then God shows us what He can do. A lot of us want supernatural stuff to happen while we're neglecting natural stuff. God's not going to do it for you if you can do it. They didn't wait for someone else. They did what they could. Number two, they had to remove the refuse to see the Redeemer. Remember I said that roof was probably just made out of dirt? Right. I'm not going to re-preach what I just said, but what is between you and Jesus tonight? There really ain't that important. Would you all be offended if I just stated the obvious? We all got a bunch of junk. I'll prove it to you. How long has it been since you parked your car in the garage? <laughs> <laughs> You know why you can't park your car in your garage? Because it's full of junk. In about every three or four years, you have a yard sale. And sell all that junk. And then the next four or five years, you collect a bunch more junk. There's a show about us on TV. It's called Hoarders. Preacher, when I found out God was leading us to leave after 33 and a half years gave a Michigan, we had a little farm that we had sort of bought some acreage three or four times and got a little bit of land together. I had a horse barn with three stalls in it and had four or five acres of pastures and beautiful white fences. I put a lot of work in that place. It really had been my labor of love. When I realized God was leading me to North Carolina preacher, honestly, before God, I bet I spent three weeks at least trying to clean out my barn. I couldn't believe all the stuff I had collected in 21 years, and I don't think I'm a hoarder. Well, Bob, I found five lawnmowers out there. I didn't even remember they were there. I mean, for different reasons, I quit using them, and they had some problem. I thought, 
I'm not going to take you back through my difficult year. But January of 2020, January 20th, I absolutely faced the most difficult thing my wife and I that we've ever faced in our life. Nothing we've ever faced compares to it. Not, not one, no two or three things compared to it, preacher, together. We buried our middle son. I didn't know what brokenness was. I thought I did. But Matt, I'm not trying to make people feel sorry for me tonight, but a week hasn't passed in 23 months that I haven't shed tears. I was in my motel last week. Listen to a song, and I just started bawling like a baby, thinking about my boy. He's in heaven. I have great hope for that tonight. But you know something tonight? As painful as that was, I've never wished it on a single person. It was actually good for me. I don't mean I'd ever want it to happen again. But buddy, when you're praying for the life of your child, You'd be amazed the junk that becomes expendable. The stuff you don't think you can live without, the stuff you just don't think's a big deal becomes a big deal. Man, I was confessing things that I had rationalized. I'm certain that I've rationalized in my life. But when I was asking God to save my boy, I said, I'm going to deal with that, Lord. That's on the table. Can I plead with you tonight? Don't make God take you there. Put it on the table tonight and say, hey, I'm not getting rid of this junk because I'm praying my child's life will not be taken. I'm going to do it so God will use me to be a better soul hunter. I'm going to do it so that I'll have more power and anointing. Hey, how many people have we witnessed to? Can I just be blunt tonight? That probably would have gotten saved if we'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that bother you? I know, Brother Bob, I know that I've witnessed the people that rejected the gospel and it wasn't the gospel they rejected. It was me that rejected. I wasn't clean enough. I wasn't walking close enough. I didn't have enough of the anointing of heaven on me. I didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. I was just there in the flesh. I knew the illustrations. I knew the verses. They didn't need me. They needed God. He didn't show up at their door. Y'all do know that Jesus changed his lives. Yes, Y'all know that great hymn, that great song, choir song, that God's word changes lives. It does. Yes. But when we're not a clean vessel, when we're not a filled vessel and we're empty, I wonder how many people will never get saved because we turned them off to the gospel because we gave the gospel to them when we weren't where we ought to be spiritually. Y'all hear me tonight? I'm talking about they had to remove some refuse to see the Redeemer. Can I say this? This, If I don't preach anymore, this is what you coming tonight to hear. The motive they operated on, oh, you got to hear this, was if only we can get this man to Jesus. If I could say nothing else tonight, I hope you hear what I just said. That needs to be the motive behind everything we do. If only we could get this man to Jesus. Is there anything in your life and my life keeping us 
from being more effective in getting people to Jesus. I'll be honest with you. There is in my life. And I'm convicted about it and I'm doing something about it. I'm going to be 60 in just a few weeks. Brother Tim, I want the last, if the Lord tears, he's coming. I'd be honest, I don't think he's going to tear. I think he's going to come in my lifetime. But if the Lord tears, he's coming. I want my 60s and 70s to be my most productive years as a soul winner. World's falling apart faster than it's ever done in any of our lifetimes. If there was ever a time people are willing to listen because of instability in the world, it's now. This ain't the time for you and I to be all caught up on stupid stuff. And I want y'all to hear me now. I'm, I'm as fundamental and old time as I've ever been, but I want to make a statement tonight. As independent Baptists, we need to get more sensitive to not offending lost people. Hey, listen. He's the one called of God to straighten us out that we all need straightened out. That's not your job. Your job, my job, is to bring people here. To befriend people. My son was preaching a few months back at my church with Bob, and he said something that has revolutionized my life. He said, People aren't looking for a friendly church, they're looking for a friend at church. See, you and I ought to come to church with a few dollars in our pocket on Sunday, looking for somebody to take dinner at the church. You want to get people to come back, take a first time visitor, dinner at the church. Hey, listen, that's half the reason to get some of your debt paid off and get your finances in order so you can be a little bit more of a blessing to people. Yes, sir. Hey, listen, this thing, this thing's about over. If we were ever going to get serious about this gospel, let's do it in the last hours of the church age. Hey, I don't know about you tonight. I'm so burdened. I spent 33 years in a place where we saw a lot of people saved. In the 33 years we was in Gator, we had over 13,000 people walking out and making public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And we were in a county of only 24,000 people. But I'm in a place now, Brother Bob, that I can't even comprehend it. Our county had 120,000 people in 2000. The county I live in, Johnson County, North Carolina. Tonight it's got 235,000 people. Good. It's growing by 100. 115,000 people in 20 years. My town, Clayton, had 6,500 people in 2000. It's got over 30,000 tonight. People are moving from all over the country to North Carolina. And where we're at is the epicenter of the population boom in North Carolina. And that's where God put me. You know what I'm doing, brother? Man, I made it in my mind. I ain't, I ain't winding down. I'm not petering out. I'm winding up and plan I'm going wide open for the remainder of my life. God's put me in a place where thousands of people need Christ. And I plan on staying separated and best I can living clean and holy. But every time I see some church member stirring up trouble over nothing important, I've got my bazooka gun out. Because <laughs> we got to get the world of the gospel. We don't need to fight over stupid stuff. Good. I had someone here they told me they was going to leave a church because their church had carpentry. Well, that can you imagine standing next to the martyrs? People have been burning at the stake. People have been sawing us in the summer. So, yeah, I took my stand. Our church had an outreach called Trump Tree. 
I left church over the Lord. I, I think he was going to say, he's an idiot. He's an idiot. I'm against Halloween. Not anymore than I am. I'm against too. Well, how about let's steal it from the devil? Let's take the night that the devil always is in charge and use it to get a bunch of people to come to our church and get the gospel. You may not agree with me, 